0: the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit wesellorlando.net. How's it going, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast and our first summer session of the summer of 2018. My name is Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. It's the summertime. It's the dog days. And, you know, one of the things that happens is, uh, well, well, actually, not a lot happens. (laughs) So this was our idea for, uh, we did this last year, and we're doing this for the second year, is that we're going to have some interviews, uh, extended-length interviews with, UCF coaches, former players, people from back in the day that you might find interesting. Uh, and we're going to have them throughout the month of July and as we head into August when uh, sport preview starts rolling around, our fall sports previews. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to start today with a really special one having to do with football uh, and it is UCF alumnus, former wide receiver, Jimmy Frizzell. Now, um, this is a re-air that we did uh, of a show we did. It was show number 81 back in the fall. This was before the Peach Bowl uh, when UCF came into that game 12-0 before beating Auburn. Uh, I actually uh, ran into Jimmy <laughs> um, at, at, in Oviedo, uh, and, uh, and we struck up a conversation, and uh, he... Uh, thankfully, agreed to uh, come on the show. Now, Jimmy, you'll remember, was a wide receiver for UCF during the Mike Kruzak era. He graduated uh, after the 2002 season, and he was part of a really dynamic duo. He and Doug Gabriel were UCF's two best receivers uh, in a season where UCF, uh, it was really the peak of the Mike Kruzak era in uh, in 2002 uh, when uh, Ryan Schneider was there. Uh, of course, within a couple of years, George O'Leary would be the head coach, but that 2002 team was a lot of fun. So we talk about that. We talk about playing in that offense uh, that he played in and the similarities to UCF's offense in the last couple years under Scott Frost and heading into the uh, Josh Heupel era. So a uh, couple of reminders, of course, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all uh, the latest UCF news and analysis from throughout the summer. Uh, anything that happens, we'll try and have something up there for you. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. You can also follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow uh, also Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo and Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy as well. Uh, you can also hit us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Uh, so, by the way, and you might want to follow us uh, very closely in the next week or two because we're going to have some big news dropping here. In a little bit remember UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter all right so without further ado here's our first summer session uh, and actually it's technically a winter session but our first summer session former UCF wide receiver Jimmy Frizzell Jimmy thank you so much for joining me how are you I'm doing well yourself No, Do- doing great thanks for taking time for me um let's go ahead and start and, and start real quick because you know you um your football background at UCF, you know, for those of us, you know, like me, who are, you know, UCF historians, you're a, you're one of the great names in UCF history. Um, you uh, you were born uh, to a football family in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Your dad uh, Dale spent his, you know, basically his entire life in football. Uh, you found you guys found yourself down in uh, down in Lakeland, so you went to Lakeland High School, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know is first of all, one of the great mascots in all of sports, the Dreadnoughts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you played for the great Bill Castle, where uh, you were part of the 1996 team that, as a freshman that won the state title. Your brother Dennis was on that team.
1: Um, how did you get to UCF
0: in 1999?
1: Well, uh, I mean, I was fortunate enough to actually be zoned for Lakeland, even though at the time my dad was actually coaching at a, uh, not a rival high school but a lower high school we'll say mm-hmm. and uh, he gave really my brother and myself the chance hey you know you can either come to school where I'm coaching or you guys can go where you're zoned and basically my brother is a couple years older went to Lakeland you know saw the football program they had and I just follow suit um yeah. was fortunate enough to start like you said in 96 my sophomore year started three years I think we lost two games um, and really it was it was Coach Alan Gooch and Coach Beckton at the time, receivers in kind of Lakeland area that was recruiting, and I went to a summer camp, you know, post Dante, so that was a first year post Dante and went to the summer camp before my senior in high school. Uh worked out, ran really well at their little mini combine, if you will, and they ended up offering me at the end of the camp going into my senior year. So it was kind of a nice, you know, weight off your shoulders, if you will. You have a little momentum going into the year and just uh, ended up coming to fruition. You know, um, got some other offers, went on some other visits, but I know my parents were really happy to have me stay here in Florida. So it was local and just the offense that Coach Kruzik at the time ran was a wide open pass happy where at the time at Lakeland, I was a little more of a wide blocker. You know, we were a triple option team dominant, but by third quarter, we'd all be out sitting on the sidelines, and it really wasn't a stat-happy-for-receiver a receiver kind of program. Right, yeah. 1999,
0: when, the, when you got to UCF, and by the way, when you graduated high school, you know I'm pretty sure that if, if I had been a high school classmate of yours, I probably would have hated your guts because you were one of those guys who was – all everything at everything, um, st- student council, junior class president. You're in the National Honor Society. You're in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You also lettered in track and soccer. You come to UCF in 1999 as a freshman, and you and for those of us who don't quite remember the Mesozoic period of UCF football. What was it like when UCF was a D1 independent trying to fight for college football respect at the time?
1: Well, it, it was difficult. I mean, looking back now, I think maybe we had 25 or 26 bowl games. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not having any ties to a conference. Um, I want to say the year before, I think Culpepper's last year, they went 9-2. and two. Right. And they could have beaten one or two ranked teams or very close games, and they didn't even get a bowl invite. So, as well, I guess, recruiting tool as the coaches turn it into, because my first year we started off Purdue, Florida, Georgia, Georgia Tech, had Auburn on the schedule. I mean, you live to play in those stadiums. So, it's a great recruiting tool. But you really needed to win every one of those games as an independent to even be invited to a bowl game. Right. So it was difficult. I mean, we didn't get into the MAC conference until my senior year. And geographically, it wasn't ideal for us. But we just saw, I mean, I'd say three out of the four years, we were above 500 with our records, which now bowl games are looking for anybody who even is 500. I mean, they've taken five and seven teams before the bowl games. Yeah, it it was difficult for post season, you know, being independent.
0: Yeah, it was. It's it's easy to forget because also I think I remember uh, my freshman year was oh one oh two, which was your junior year, and I remember uh, that there there was in addition to all that, you know, for example, like you, you guys practiced outdoors, and during the summer when it's raining all the time and there's thunderstorms rolling through Central Florida, well well, we can't have you guys out on the practice field. So everyone would So I I think I remember you guys would have to go inside, right? To like the education gym to get summer (laughs) practices in and stuff. It was like, now you have the indoor facility and everything. But I mean, what was that? What was that kind of like?
1: Well, it it was the time of that school. I mean, I think we still had almost 30,000 for admissions, but you had no on-campus housing. I mean, you walk on that campus now where the stadium is, even all the dorms. It was nothing there. Yeah. So, you know, with our practice fields, and sure enough, always in the summertime, we practiced in the afternoons, you always had rain come about 3 o'clock. So, yeah, we had some games where everybody piled in, and you had about a half a basketball court to try to run the offense (laughs) and a half a basketball court to try to run the defense. And it was probably not the ideal situation for the coaches, but we did what we could with the environment we had. And, um, you know, that's where you kind of throw in a lot more film study, if you will, because it almost became a little bit of a walkthrough at that point because you couldn't stretch the field. And everybody basically was congested and DBs are sitting on routes. Yeah, not realistic. What was it like playing in Coach X offense? At that time, it
0: was, it was ahead of its time. Now it seems like everyone runs a variant of the spread that Coach Cruz ran.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to see that now, this spread offense that everyone runs. It's really what we had, those run-pass options. We would go to the line of scrimmage, and it would either be the bubble screens or run the ball, depending on how many people the defense put in the box. Uh, now you hear that RPO for Auburn's, UCF's, I mean, basically probably 50% of the teams right now. Uh, we were ahead of its time. We didn't do as much no-huddle. You know, Our no-huddle is still really the two-minute drill, but it's, it's weird to watch the game now and go back and think of those were some of our most successful drives is we were going no huddle, but our conditioning I don't think was at the level that all these teams are now because they constantly do it at practice and they do it all through the games. So I think we would have died at that time if we tried to consistently do the no huddle.
0: In 2002, your senior year, uh, UCF, like you mentioned, got into the MAC, the Mid American Conference. I, I remember I was there for the announcement that UCF was finally in a conference, and this is going to open up the possibility to do it to bowl games and conference championships and everything. And you're right; it wasn't it, it wasn't geographically favorable. You had seemingly half the teams in Ohio, half the teams in Michigan, and then us. Uh, and uh, but. I, felt, I remember I felt at the time that it was, it was the perfect fit in terms of competitiveness. Um, and that first year in 2002 pretty, pretty much almost bore out correctly because that was a really good team. Even though the final record was 7-5, and five, four of the five games were decided by less than a touchdown, three of them by three points. How close was that 2002 team to being a truly all-time amazing team in UCF history?
1: I think we were probably four weeks too late. Uh, just saying, you know, we lost, a, I remember, Penn State, the opener, up mm-hmm. there, uh, blocked field goals, just, you know, first game, a couple mistakes. Um, second one was out of Arizona State. We were up at half and just fell completely apart. Uh, third game, I think, was... It might have been the Marshall game, so we yeah. started off zero and three, and we still were fitting people in. Kind of, I mean, I even moved more to the slot toward the end of the year, and I think it was just we found the right fit at offensive line. We found the right fit of you know which slot receivers were going. And by the end of the year, I mean we were we were unstoppable on offense, and it's one of those you wish you could have played some of those teams toward the end. But unfortunately, at that time, when you played that better competition or those higher-ranked schools, it was basically those first two, three, four weeks you had to get them out of the way because the rest was all conference play.
0: Right. Now, I remember the the Marshall game, I remember, stuck out because that was the first-ever conference game in school history. And it was up there in Huntington, and Marshall was a big deal because they had just – I think they just won the conference. Byron Leftwich was a Heisman candidate that year, and we came so close in that one game. But, but then you look at the point totals that you guys put up, you know, 48 against Liberty, 45 at Buffalo, 48 at Miami of Ohio, 42 at Ohio. There was some real talent on that team. Give me some of the names that you of the guys that you remember, um, that because uh, I got a list of them for word association here, but there was some amazing talent on that team.
1: Yeah. I mean, we actually, I want to say, you know, Ryan Schneider was our quarterback. Yep. Um, I I know he had over 3000 yards. We had Alex Haynes, our tailback. He had over a thousand yards, Doug and myself, Doug Gabriel. We had both had over a thousand yards. Um, you know, we had Luther Huggins and Tavares capers who were, I think sophomores at the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those were solid number three and number four receivers. We just had some good depth. We shared the ball around, and like I said, statistically to have, you know, a 1,000-yard back, 2,000-yard receivers, we had some offensive yards. The, um, I'm
0: going to do some quick word association with you, and I'll just, I'll just list a name, and then you say the first word that comes to mind. You ready? Okay. All right. Ryan Schneider. Ugh, gamer. Doug Gabriel.
1: Uh, it, it's weird now because Doug now is actually is one of those lifelong friends. Yeah, he's one of those. He was a great uh, competitor, great alongside. I mean, just a, a true partner, I'll say, on and off the field. <laughs> Brandon Marshall, young at the time. He was I a like freshman. say we day. developed him. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was a true freshman and. You know, it was funny going back and talking to Brandon his senior year and, you know, seeing the guy, just his size alone. I mean, he was giant. I'm like, God, you grew into your body, you kind of filled out. I mean, a heck of an athlete and so respectful to my now wife, to me. I mean, it just, he was very appreciative of just kind of the foundation that Doug and I were able to lay for him. Alex Haynes, and you see what he did. Oh yeah, uh, bulldog, hard fighter.
0: God, I, I'm so glad I was I was never on the business end of one of his runs, man. Because he was a bowling ball that guy. It was unbelievable. He never got yeah. enough respect, did he?
1: No, I mean, I, again, I think just because we did throw the ball a lot, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't try to say, oh, you know, he's he's not a power back or. But, I mean, again, to, as much as we threw the ball, he still ended up with 1,000 yards that season. Yeah. Nice. I, I don't know what his average per carry was, but you felt it every time you had to hit him. Atari Bigby. Pure athlete.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> um, here, here's, one, uh, here's one for you, I think. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I didn't ask you, ask you uh, his name yet. Asante Samuel.
1: Best corner I ever played against.
0: You guys must have had some serious battles out there on the practice field.
1: We did. I mean, it was fun. You know, Zante's another guy that, I mean, just love him as a person. Um, You know, a little surprised, uh, I guess, you know, what he ended up doing in the NFL. I mean, he always had the athletic talent. Uh, It really showed, I think, in his New England days, just how smart of a corner he was. He was so athletic, we would kind of put him on an island and just let him lock somebody down. But seeing kind of his defense he was put in with uh, New England really showed his intelligence for the game and led to a number of those picks that he baited people into. Last name for you, Matt Prater. True freshman at the time, but had a cannon for a leg. Still has it.
0: Yeah. Well, you were the holder, I think, too, on special teams, weren't you? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He was, was uh,
1: funny because I. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say, as his true freshman year, I remember one thing with Matt is we're going through training camp and I was the holder at the time. And I remember he came up to me as a freshman was like, hey, I want you to hold for me. I'm like who's this little kid telling me he wants me to hold for him? And sure enough, I mean, just I remember Coach McFarlane at the time. I mean, the height that he got on his kicks and the power for just a freshman was incredible.
0: Yeah, I remember he hit that fifty-three yarder against Penn State, and we were like, "Whoa, who is this kid? And this is a real weapon." True freshman making in front, making a fifty-three yarder in front of one hundred and five thousand people—that was something and uh it was the guy i remember the guy he beat out was ryan feely who was jay feely's little brother remember that yep yeah. so that's so, yeah, how I, good he yeah, was i was
1: with yeah i was with jay in atlanta i remember we were kind of talking about that but i mean look now he's got the nfl record for the longest kick right
0: and he's still going still going amazing all right all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more with Jimmy Frizzell after this. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast Summer Session. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated night fan that right now, If you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at we sellorlando.net. Again, that's we sellorlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at facebook.com slash We Sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelco. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've
1: landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered week in and week out. We bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at ucf underscore Nightline.
1: Trace, can we go back to the eleven forty eight studios now and start working on our next all new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go, Knights! Charge on! Now, back
0: to you guys in the Black and gold banneret podcast all right welcome back let 's continue with our interview with Jimmy Frizel back from December here on our summer sessions. you know you bounced around with a couple of NFL training camps, Miami, I think you started out in fact, my buddy uh, Matt Brodsky, who actually worked for a time with the Dolphins, was like, "Hey, Jimmy, one time at in down in davy, and uh, let 's go nice and he was, and he, was and, and he you recognized that and came over and talked to him for those of us who are mere mortals who never sniffed the difference between college and and professional football. What is the difference between college football and NFL football from an on-field perspective?
1: From an on-field, it's all speed. I mean, everybody can run. When you have defensive ends that are just giants of humans that can run the same speed as skill guys, it is such a speed game.
0: What was the what was the moment when you realized that speed?
1: Uh, I'd have to say just our first kind of training camp in uh, in uh, Miami. We just had like a mini camp soon after the draft. It was like a three day camp, and you got out with everybody. And just I mean, it was a professional business organization where everybody took care of their own um, job. They warmed up by themselves. You know, everybody was ready to go at the initial onset of a hike, if you will. And, I mean, I I remember just thinking how much more of an athlete I was, even through all the training after your last year and how much faster I was. And you're just all on the same level at that time. I mean, everybody could play at that level.
0: You latched on in the Arena Football League with the Orlando Predators. You had three successful years there. Uh, when you played in the Arena League, you know the Arena League was at its real peak. It was on NBC. Attendance was the highest throughout the league. It was the largest number of teams. I think there were 19 teams at the time is where it peaked. What did it mean for guys like you to get a shot in the Arena Football League? And do you think that the NFL needs a developmental league sort of on that level now?
1: First, I don't think they need – I mean, it was a great addition, like another option. I don't think the NFL needs it just because the way college football is now. Mm -hmm. And honestly, your length of a career in the NFL is so minimal and there's so much turnover. Um, from my standpoint and because we were kind of at the peak, I'd say 90% of the people at that time had some type of NFL experience and it was some guys who just might've gone with the wrong teams or they were drafted, but never got to put anything on the field. it was always kind of bubble guys, if you will, some guys went up, some guys came back, some guys went up. Uh, it was just another way to kind of display your talents Um, it was a different style game than outdoor football. And that was one thing that I remember coach Jay Gruden would always say, like, you have to respect this game. Don't think, oh, because you're on an NFL team or NFL roster, this is beneath you. It was that different of a game that, that's one of the reasons I enjoyed it. It was just more fitting to my style of route running or my style of adjustments. There were a lot more options that I was given in running routes and creating separations from DBs. Well, I'll say you enjoyed
0: it because in three years you scored 49 touchdowns, which is, which is, you know, I mean, it's the, yes, it's the arena game. There's more offense, but that's still an astounding total. Um, the, the, what was your Favorite moment going back to your days with the Preds?
1: Um, I mean, probably ours going to the Arena Bowl. Um, that's going to not actually in our Arena Bowl game. You know, you, you always think it's funny. People will say, oh, yeah, you can get there next year. You'll get there again. You guys have the same team. But at that professional level, when you see it with the exception of the Patriots, just how hard it is to be a back-to-back you know, championship team. Yeah. Um, that year we, we just, it it was awesome. I mean, it was really a fun time. Our team really came together. Uh, you know, Joe Hamilton was our QB. We had a good rapport that year. Uh, just, I mean, really had a lot of fun and it was, it, it was an entertaining game for the players because you only had 20 people, you know, you would travel. It's always, Commercial flights, so just a lot of the camaraderie on the actual flights, and I guess making other passengers sometimes uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the the the
0: the sad part was kind of how your career came to an end. I think it was in February of two thousand eight, um, where your knee went out on you, uh, and then it was. Uh, it was just bad timing because right after that was the work stoppage. And the league kind of pancaked from there. So it, it, tell me about that period of time and how it, and how the arena league kind of fell off the map a little bit, even though it's still going even now, it's a shell of its former self.
1: Right. Well, uh, I mean, because we had yeah, we had good athletes in the league and you had the TV contracts. And honestly, our salary caps per team continued to go up. Mm-hmm. And when you have salary caps get to a certain point, you have to have the TV revenue. It's never the attendance revenue. Right. And, you know, our ownership at the time, was like Jerry Jones, you had Bon Jovi. Uh, Jaworski was part of it. Um, I'm trying to think who was a national a country singer in that.
0: I think John Elway had a piece of the Colorado team, too, didn't he? Yeah, Elway had yep. a
1: piece of Colorado. So, yeah, we I mean, we had a lot of ownership that was you know, celebrities, if you will. So it brought up a lot of attention. And honestly, I think they were just paying the players too much. And that kind of started, okay, you know, we're, we're not getting the TV revenue, I think, that was really covering the salary caps. The attendances still weren't. Full, even though Orlando had a great presence just around uh, the country, they weren't filling up all the time, and everybody had those same caps. So somehow you had to be able to afford all of these players. Um, for me personally, you know, of course, blowing ACL, uh, one on ones, non-contact, and I just it, stuck in the ground. I heard it pop. You know, hoping the best, meniscus. Was not. Um, I, I can look back now. And honestly, I was fortunate that that happened just because it got me into my work career I'm in now. And I believe they didn't actually make the announcement for that uh, stoppage of arena until December. And usually we reported a camp in January. Right. So it really kind of caught a lot of these guys. And there were rumors going around. But a lot of the guys, uh, we were always paid, you know, six, seven months of the season. And those other five months, you're on your own. So a lot of people would budget their salaries to go through the 12 months. And unfortunately, when that 13th month came, you didn't get a paycheck again. So I think it caught a lot of people off guard where they had a panic. Me, I mean, I was fortunate enough to kind of get into a career uh, while the season was still going on or just to the end of it, even though I thought I was coming back, I was able to get into something else and not be stressed. So what are you doing now? So I am actually selling medical devices. So at the time, uh, the surgeon that actually operated on me uh, was just asking what I want to do post-football career and told me about at, it was sports medicine injuries, so it's injuries I always saw in the locker room, you always saw on ESPN, and I'm kind of on the other side of it where I just had an ACL, and now I'm going into the OR and actually seeing ACLs done and selling medical devices to help those procedures.
0: How, uh, how close are you to the UCF football program now?
1: Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I loved Frost. Um, Janandrick, you know, Becton was always still there. So we have a Letterman's um, club that Coach O'Leary started. So I'm a board of director on that. So we still have interaction. Um, I will say I haven't met the new head coach or any of the coaches right now. I have not been up there. I know it's kind of a kind of weird yeah. <laughs> scenario up there. So we'll kind of finish this year up and then – I always try to get out there during springtime, just kind of talk with some of the coaches, just see what, you know, how they feel about former players coming back. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, we always haven't had coaches that love to see everybody come back. It was kind of select few. So yeah, (laughs) I always like to see what kind of support they want from the former alumni.
0: What did you think of, uh, yeah, I know it's, it is such a weird situation now and, and, but, you know, Hey, UCF this year is going to the, going to the peach bowl, second big time bowl game and in, uh, in school history going to go, you know, including, you know, obviously 2013 with the Fiesta bowl. And now it's, now it's like you almost take going to any bowl game for granted, almost at UCF. What did you think of this year's team and the offense that they were able to put together as uh, you know, I mean, they, they were able to, you know, Mackenzie Milton, for example, I think surpassed Ryan Schneider's numbers for touchdown passes and total offense. Um, They're they're knocking down some of your guys' records from 2002.
1: They're exciting to watch. I I honestly loved it as a receiver because you did spread the ball out. Um, I mean, as much as I like some of the individual receivers just watching their techniques, we spread the ball around. I mean, every different game, it was another player that stepped up. And there was just so much speed and there was so much, I guess, coaching that went into getting those players in space. And that's what I loved is they just hit those guys when they're on the runs and two, three-yard safe completions, and then we could take them for 40. So it was really exciting to watch that this year. I mean, my wife, kids – myself. I mean, I loved it. It was just a different style of football. Even though Coach Frost was here last year, it was just different offensively than what we've had for maybe, you know, five, six years. Yeah.
0: I mean, as a fan and as someone who's covered the program since I was, you know, a student, you know, back when you guys were playing, I was always, you know, I'm appreciative of, as a fan of what Coach O'Leary did in the 13 years he was here, but I feel like we were starved for, that that sort of entertainment value, if you will, and I know that that's not everything in college football, but um, but it was it was so fun to watch. And do, do you think that it's going to stay like this, or do you think that there's or, or do you think or is football kind of like a cyclical thing?
1: I, I mean, I think football goes to whatever works at the time. I mean, you had those power, you know, two back sets, pound it down your throat. I mean, even look at the Big Ten that everybody used to say, oh, all they do is run the ball. You know, the Big Ten now opens up. I think football has moved to you throw maybe 50-50 or even 60-40 percent of the time when it used to be, yeah, you might throw 20 percent of the time. Yeah. Um, if, you know, like you said, for entertainment value, it always helps when you win. I mean you could be throwing the ball just as much and if you're losing people are going to grumble people are going to complain but I like it from a receiver standpoint just because it reminds me more of that arena style I mean like you said it's it's touchdowns it's points it's entertainment I know you know the the 5 yard chuck rules there's a lot of rules that have changed in football too to kind of be more pro offense and marketing you know TV kind of they get it Mm. They understand that people want to see points because that is more entertaining.
0: The uh, how do you think you would have done if we transplanted 2002 U into 2017 UCF?
1: I probably would have had a blast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> would have been fun. I mean, you know, I, again, like we talked earlier, I can't say that we didn't throw the ball around because we were one of those pass happy teams. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I do like the creativity on how you're getting these guys in space with the ball. I think you can do a lot more with the yards after catch than a lot of kind of the stationary positional routes that, yeah, you're catching the ball, but you're kind of getting the ball standing still, whether it's hook routes, stop routes, and it's harder to, you know, run after catch versus when you're getting people on the move. Right, right.
0: So we've got uh so as we finish up here with you, Jimmy Frizzell. Um well you're gonna be up in Atlanta, right?
1: Yes, sir. I will be heading up there the thirty-first.
0: All right, you and me both. I'll be heading up there New Year's Eve as well. I'm hoping I'll, uh, hoping I'll run into you at some point maybe at the uh Alumni Association thing or somewhere along the game. But uh like I said, thank you so much for taking some time for me. Uh holiday season's right around the corner. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, I'll see you on uh, I'll see you come uh, New Year's up in Atlanta, God willing.
1: Thank you so much. You too. Merry Christmas, and uh, hopefully we'll keep the power on the airport up in Atlanta.
0: (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. (laughs) All right, that was awesome. Thanks again to Jimmy. Uh, He was so kind with his time. Uh, I know he's really busy, but uh, it was great to talk to him once again. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Next week we'll have a new summer session. Uh, we're going to keep it a surprise for you until it comes out next week. But uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret at blackandgoldbanneret.com, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast Summer Sessions.